Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll be continuing our study of the book of Judges. We'll be looking at a time when a woman named Deborah was judge over Israel. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Judges chapter 4 and follow along while I read. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for twenty years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapideth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking ten thousand from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said to him, I surely will go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and ten thousand men went up at his heels, and Deborah went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zaananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harosheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his armies before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the armies to Herosheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And she said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. 
But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, and she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went into the ground while he was laying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. This is certainly a fascinating story. Uh, We have the intrigue of the commander of Israel's army not being willing to do what uh, the Lord said. And even after being prompted by Deborah would only go if Deborah went with him. And Deborah, being faithful to the word of the Lord, went with him. And the army of King Jabin was destroyed, including the leader of that army, Sisera. And the way that Sisera meets an into his life is fascinating as well. This young woman, J.L., convinces him that he'll be safe inside her tent. And when he falls fast asleep, she takes a tent peg and drives it through his head into the ground. And in doing so, fulfills what Deborah had said about God delivering Sisera into the hand of a woman. It's easy to get caught up in the details of the story because they are so intriguing. But I want to make sure that we notice some things about God's call. God had called Barak to action, and he did not respond. Deborah received a call, and she did, and also motivated Barak to do what he should. And and so I think that we can learn some things in here about God's call to his people in our time. One of the first things I notice in this story is that God's call to us when he is calling us to action is also a call to humility. God wants his people to be humble. In this story, Sisera was the leader of Jabin's army, and he oppressed the people with cruelty for 20 years. He had put himself in this place of power to exert control over Israel. But it was when Israel humbled themselves before the Lord, quit trying to deal with this on their own terms, but turned to God that he was able to help them. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If we don't humble ourselves, God will. As Israel goes through their cycles of obedience, contentment, complacency, sin, oppression, and back to humility. It's always when they come to God with a humble heart that they see success. So we see that people who are humble are actively seeking God's grace. They know they can't survive or overcome the enemy on their own. They need help. And so the brother of Jesus, James, in the New Testament, writes in James chapter 4, starting in verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. 
James is reminding Christians of his time the same thing that Israel was learning in this chapter. If you have so much pride in your own ability that you're unwilling to accept help, you'll be overcome and oppressed by sin, and you should be sad and grieve that. But if you will humble yourself before the Lord and know that you need his help, follow his guidance, his direction, his commandments, he will give you the power and the direction you need to overcome. But this call that God makes to Israel is not just one of humility. It's also one of purity. As God is giving them victory, they are driving out an evil enemy. They are destroying their enemy and pushing them out of the land. In this story in particular, we see a young woman, J.L., take a chance. She sees the leader of the enemy and invites him into her tent and ends up destroying that enemy. As Christians, we live in a world where the enemy is all around us, but we're constantly being asked by God to drive that out. He wants us to be pure as he is pure. So just like for Israel, our call is one to purity, to eliminate sin from our lives. And just like JL, eliminating sin in our lives takes courage and it takes action. So Peter in the New Testament writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. As God calls us to be a part of his work, he calls us to humility and he calls us to purity. But as we see, those things aren't always that easy. We're often conditioned to try to make it on our own. We're also conditioned to do the things we want to do very often. And those can run opposite of what God is wanting to accomplish. So we have to take courage, take action and be humble. But how do we pull that off? We've just said we can't be prideful. We can't rely on ourselves. How do we accomplish these things when they can be so difficult? When God calls us, he makes several promises. One is that he will take us where we are. No matter how messed up our life is, no matter how prideful we are or how pitiful we are, God takes us where we are. Remember in the story, we're told that Heber and Jael had moved away from the descendants of the Kenites. They were no longer in the place where God had put them, where God had given them an inheritance, but God was still willing and able to use them. The situation in Israel as a whole was not perfect, but they had turned to God and they had humbled himself. So he was able to work in a way that brought glory to his name. I think we can learn from that, that we don't have to wait until everything is perfect in our lives for God to use us. I will often challenge people to be more active in exercising their faith. And very often they will let me know that they feel like they have to do more work on themselves and allow God to do more work on them uh, before they're going to be able to do that. But I think we see an example here as we do in so many other places in scripture that God uses imperfect vessels to accomplish his purposes. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. God didn't wait until we were perfect to save us. He saved us because we weren't perfect. And he will use us in that rescue mission to save others. God also promises that he'll take the lead. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 13, scripture says, You led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. That text is talking about how God brought the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt and gave them a land that was their own. And it says God led his people. Deborah was able to tell Barak that the Lord had gone out ahead of him, that God was going to win this battle. But notice that it wasn't because she had some secret information. This was information that Barak already knew. This was a promise that God had already made to his people. Deborah was just reminding him that God would be faithful. God will take the lead. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 9 says, With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. God makes a promise to his people that he will always lead them back. And one more passage, Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God has called us to action. He's called us to be people of courage and humility, but he's promised that he will take the lead and give the victory, which leads to that last promise. God will take away our fear and he will take away the things that oppress us. It's not our work. It's our submission to God that enables him to do the work in a way that honors him and teaches us and grows our faith. We talked in a previous episode about Israel not being able to uh, conquer these armies that had iron chariots. And we could tell from the context, this wasn't because God couldn't give them the victory or God wasn't willing to give the victory. They were just afraid of those iron chariots. They were afraid their God wouldn't be able to defeat them. Those iron chariots can represent the fear in our own lives. And Sisera can represent the oppression of sin in our lives. And in this story, God eliminated both from the Israelites, and he's promised us he'll eliminate both of them from us. In the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it's written, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so, also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The Apostle John is reminding Christians that when we abide in God, when we live in him and him in us, We are abiding in love, and when we allow that love to be perfected in us, it eliminates all fear. There is nothing for us to be afraid of. In the same way that God destroyed Israel's iron chariots, God will use love to drive fear out of our lives. And then I also want to read Luke chapter 4, 
verses 17 through 21. It says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says to his audience in Luke and by extension to all Christians of all time that he came to give liberty to those who were oppressed. When we feel ourselves overwhelmed by the sin in our lives or the effects of sin, either from our own sin or from the sin of others, we have a promise from Jesus that he will set us at liberty, that we will be freed from that, that we don't have to be bound to it. So when we come to understand that God has called us to his work and to his purposes, do we respond more like Barak, who was afraid, or do we respond like Deborah, who knew that God had made promises and he would be faithful to keep those promises? So all she had to do was to be humble and obedient. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.